Thank you, thank you, Shane and, and the worship leaders this morning. As I just review very quickly what we just sang. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief and pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Yeah, God is in charge, and God does not change. Paul writes to Timothy and says, tells him that if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. He does not change, and he is in charge. He has planned the plan. He's carrying out that plan detail by detail, and everything is right on schedule. And we are included in his plan and if God is for us, who can be against us? The implied answer, of course, is no one. Oh, we have an adversary. We have an enemy. But if God is for us, then no one can be against us. And in our daily self-talk, you know self-talk. We talk to ourselves all day long, don't we? And many times, maybe most of the time, we shouldn't believe what we're talking about because we're just thinking and talking about things of this world. But in our daily self-talk, we can say, Be still, my soul. The Lord is on my side. God is in charge and He does not change. He is at work even when our circumstances go upside down on us. He is working all things after the counsel of His will. Paul writes to the Ephesians. So when nothing is happening, something is happening. You know? Yeah. When God seems distant or even absent, something is happening. Because when nothing is happening, something is happening because God is at work and He is at work no matter what we experience. And we do well to consider the work of God. That's the title of this message today. Yes, we do well to consider the work of God, and that's what we're going to do as we turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. We're talking about the Old Testament here, of course. Ecclesiastes. We have Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to read part of chapter 7, Ecclesiastes 7, starting with verse 8. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom along with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection just as money is protection, but the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. Now verse 13. Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the day of prosperity, be happy, but in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not discover anything that will be 
after him. Would you pause for a moment as they come to God's throne of grace this morning? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to this morning to, to worship you for who you are and then to thank you for what you do in your mercy and grace toward us day by day. And Father, we ask that, that, uh, that you would illumine our minds to understand your word today and then quicken our hearts to, to, for us to respond in joyful obedience. Again, we ask that you would keep us from trafficking through unlived truth. Grant us patience in our trials and humility in our triumphs and victories. Have your way for your glory, for our good this morning, and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. You notice on your outline, again, considering the work of God, that's the way that verse 13 starts. And then I wrote earlier, I often make reference to both the joys and jolts of living in this fallen world. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world, John 16, 33. And then I wrote, thus our sense of security is sourced in the certainty of God's sovereignty rather than in the uncertainty of our circumstances. I trust we've already found that out if we've walked with the Lord very long this morning. In this world, there are many what I call pseudo-sources of security. But, but when push comes to shove, these pseudo-sources of security will all falter, they all fizzle, they will all fail. And then Solomon found that out as well. Solomon, David's son, he starts the book by, writing, by saying, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So we believe that Solomon wrote this book he calls himself Kohelet. That just simply means preacher. And he was the preacher. Yeah. And uh, he starts off by making reference to life is vanity. All is vanity. Uh, he wrote this 3,000 years ago, but it's certainly uh, the truth is for us even, even today. And he, he, he starts again by, by saying, uh, I'll read it here. Uh, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, Says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Solomon had everything that anybody would ever want in this world. And he sought sense and he sought solace and he sought security from prosperity, from possessions, from power, from pleasure. And his conclusion again is, all is vanity. It's like striving after the wind. Yeah, Donovan, the old folk singer from England years ago, sang a song called Try to Catch the Wind. You ever tried to catch the wind? Yeah, it, it's rather futile, I, I have to say. Yeah, and, and he, Solomon refers to life under the sun. You'll find that quite often in this book of Ecclesiastes. Life under the sun. And I believe he's just simply referring to life lived apart from God's authority and God's rule. Simply ignoring him and living life just in this temporal world. So let's let Solomon instruct us regarding God's sovereignty and our security. Remember, Jesus said, in me you have peace. In the world you have tribulation. Most of us misquote that. I have done it many times. Most of us say, in the, in the world you will have tribulation. I don't know why we insert that will in there. Because the tense of the verb is, in this world, we are having it. 
Get used to it, I guess. Yeah. In me, you have peace. But in this world, we, you have tribulation. But take courage. And we need courage these days, don't we? In our, even in our own wonderful country that, that seems to be going south these, these days in so many ways. But our God is in charge. He's, he's certainly ruling, even as we see things disintegrate to some extent. Yeah. He says, Jesus said, take courage. I've overcome the world. And I believe he was looking forward to when he would die in our, on the cross for our sins that he would pay the penalty that we owed but could not pay. He would rise from the dead and he would rule in a future sense over the new heavens and the new earth. But point one on your outline, the certainty of God's sovereign rule. His absolute and supreme rule. And there again it says, consider the work of God. Who is able to straighten what he has bent or has made crooked. And again, the implied answer is no one is able to straighten what he has bent. Psalm 135 will say, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in the heavens and on earth and in the seas and all the deeps. And he has revealed himself to be sovereign over all he has created. And we must worship him according to his revelation. We must worship him according to how he's revealed himself to us. He is sovereign over all. He is subject to no one. He is influenced by no one. He is absolutely independent. In our men's Bible study here last year, we, we learned a word about God, an attribute that we don't think much about, but it's true. We talk about God's aseity. We say God is assay, and that just simply means that he is, he, that refers to his self-existence. He's, he's dependent upon no one. We are dependent upon him. He is dependent upon no one. He does as he pleases. He does only as he pleases. He does always as he pleases. God is God in fact as well as in name, and he is directing all things from his throne. He is at work in his universe. He is at work in our lives. He is working again all things after the counsel of his will, from the choosing us before the foundation of the world to sealing us in Christ by the Holy Spirit, and then finally presenting us, his people, his born-again people, before himself, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Paul says that to the Colossians. So chapter 7, Ecclesiastes, verse 13, consider the work of God. He is at work carrying out his plan, and we're part of his plan. He is at work in every life. He is at work in everyday life as well. He's at work, he's in charge, his attention is focused everywhere all the time, including the bent things, including the crooked things, including the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows of life. And when God puts a curve or a bend in the road, we can't straighten it out. I'm sure we already know that, but we need to be reminded, huh? I read years ago, someone said, life is the art of drawing without an eraser. Well, well, sometimes in our drawing, we like to go back and erase. Oh, I want to do that over. No, don't think so. We just have to keep moving on. And as much as we want to avoid pain, as much as we want to cushion ourselves from jolts, as much as we want to barricade ourselves from disappointments and steer clear of bumps and potholes in life, we still find life in a fallen world is full of bends and curves, rough spells and rough spots, and God is sovereignly ruling over all. 
and we can count on the certainty of God's sovereignty. We can also be comforted by the certainty of God's sovereign rule, and we can count on the uncertainty of our circumstances. That's point number two there. When you look, look back at, at uh, Ecclesiastes 7.14, there it says again, in the day of prosperity be happy, but in the day of adversity consider, God has made the one as well as the other. Same verse. And sometimes the prosperity and adver adversity come into our lives back to back. The joys and jolts within an hour, we can experience both. Concerning prosperity and adversity, in 1974, out here at Kendall, at noon, about noon, June 3rd, 1974, uh, Linda was there with me. I was working on a, installing a modular home out there, and uh, she was there. She was there. I won't tell you why she was there, but she was there addressing wedding invitations. So talk about prosperous planning a wedding. And, and at the noon, she was dressing those uh, invitations. And at five o'clock, she was sitting in an ambulance and listening to me moan and groan in the back there as I had had been knocked down by the boom of a, cro of a crane that broke. And I ended up with a fractured skull and some bleeding inside my head. I got a hole in my head here, by the way. You, you, you probably knew that. <laughs> a Swede with a hole in his head. That's, that's, a, that's a lost cause. Anyway, we headed down to St. Luke's, the south campus, there to the emergency. I was in intensive care for a couple of weeks, but I made it to the church on time. My wonderful wife was there with me through it. We got married. But again... The, the prosperity of planning a wedding, the adversity of wondering if I would even survive or if I did, what kind of shape I'd be in, and then the prosperity again of the wedding itself. That was 1974. Then in 1979, uh, on March 5th, I was back in Minnesota uh, speaking at my father's funeral. March 5th. March 9th, I was back in Bellingham for the birth of our second child, our firstborn daughter, Angela. So there we go again, the adversity of speaking at my father's funeral and then welcoming a new little baby into our home. Adversity and prosperity, back to back. And of course, it doesn't just happen to me. We could stay here all day as you would describe these kinds of experiences you've had living in this fallen world. Fallen rules still, still ruled, though, by our great God. Life from day to day, hour to hour, is unpredictable in this fallen world. But we can know, first of all, the certainty of God's sovereign rule, even in the uncertainty of our circumstances. And then point three, our security in God's sovereign plan. I'll read again this passage. This is Ecclesiastes 7.13. Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent. In the day of prosperity, be happy, but in the day of adversity, consider, for God has made the one again as well as the other. Our tendency is to say, no, God only is responsible for the good things and pleasant things, but, but I'm not sure where the hard, difficult things fit. He must be looking the other way. <laughs> no, 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 he is sovereignly ruling all that he has created. Most of us remember the story of Horatio Spafford, who wrote the song, it is well with my soul. But I'll rehearse it just briefly here. He was a, a, a successful lawyer in Chicago in 1800, and he had sent his wife and, and daughters on a ship to London. D.L. Moody was going to be there for a crusade, and he sent them on ahead. 
And then he got a wire from his wife saying, um, saved alone. The ship went down. The daughters were all, all perished, and she made it to London. So he took the next ship there to meet her in London. And the story goes that as the, the ship that he was on got, a, got to a certain place in the Atlantic, the captain brought him up and said, this is probably about where the ship went down. And then he went down to his cabin, and he took a paper and, and pen. And you know what he wrote? When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. That context, it's just, it's hard not to be gripped by what happened there. But then he said, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Yeah. In me you have peace, Jesus said. In this world you have tribulation. But be of good courage, I've overcome the world. Now certainly Horatio Spafford didn't deny his pain and his heartache, but he knew God was still in charge and would work all things together for his good to conform him to the image of Christ, Romans 8.29 as you know. And we have a small view of God, and we have a skewed view of Scripture if we expect God to provide for us a life without problems, a life without adversity, a life without heartaches. If we expect Him to provide a Disneyland experience every day full of big-time tingles every day all day long. No, that's not what it's like in a fallen world. Isaac Watts wrote, Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. So many have been martyred for the Savior's sake down through the years. Right now, if you read the voice of the martyrs, many are being killed for the Savior's sake. And in our own country, if we continue, as things seem to be degenerating, we may be asked to, to surrender our life as we share the gospel, clarify the gospel, preach the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The world hates that message. But those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul tells Timothy, will suffer persecution. Yes. And we can say it as well with our soul if we affirm God's sovereign rule even in our most grievous circumstances. Dawson Trotman was the man who began the Navigator's Ministry in 1950. And he was speaking at a at a retreat at Scroon Lake, New York, to college students. He was speaking there in 1956. And the story goes, he was out in a boat as they were taking free time. And, and uh, then a, a girl fell off out of a boat and was drowning. And he saved her. He saved her life, but he drowned. And when word came to shore to his wife, Lila, that he had perished there, one of Lila's friends reportedly said, Doss is dead. Doss is dead. What are we going to do? And without a blink, Lila said, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. That's Psalm 115. Yeah. Now, she wasn't being flippant or denying the pain of his death and her loss, but she was declaring what was true, and she was declaring what she believed. The God of the Bible is sovereignly ruling over all things, the prosperous and the adverse. And our peace and our 
security are in him, not in the ups and downs of this fallen world. I love the Psalms. I read a Psalm every day. Psalm 62, David writes, My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. Whenever I read that, I think, I think it's okay to be shaken, but we don't have to be greatly shaken. And then as if we weren't listening, he writes it again. My soul waits in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rests. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trusted in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And then so often, Psalm 63, the next psalm I will read or share at hospital beds or at nursing homes and, of course, from my own heart as well where it says, when I remember thee on my bed, I meditate on thee in the night watches, for thou hast been my help. And in the shadow of thy wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to thee. Thy right hand upholds me. Yes, if we know Jesus, we know that we are in the hollow of his hand no matter what we experience in this fallen world. The eternal God is our refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms, and we can rest. We can rest in His everlasting arms. He will never collapse. He will always sustain us. So that point three, our security in God's sovereign plan. And then it says our perspective. So we're looking at verse fourteen again. In the day of prosperity, be happy, and in the day of of adversity, consider. So in the day of prosperity, when things are going well, it just says the obvious. Where do, we, where do we rejoice? Where to be happy? That's really not too hard for us usually, yeah? But on the other hand, there are some negative kind of peevish people that find it hard to even to rejoice in prosperity. Certainly not going to rejoice in somebody else's prosperity. Yeah, well, what I have found, and I trust you would agree, that when bitterness and resentment move into our hearts, then rejoicing and thankfulness have to move over. If we allow bitterness and resentment to reside in our hearts, thankfulness and joyfulness, they just simply have to move over. So in the day of prosperity, rejoice. But in the day of adversity, we are to gripe. (laughs) We're to grumble, mumble, and murmur, right? (laughs) Is that what it says? No, I don't think so. No, no. We're not to do as Job's wife said to Job, curse God and die. Wasn't she a lovely person, huh? What a treasure. Curse God and die. No, it says here in verse 14 that we're just to consider. In the day of prosperity, rejoice. In the day of adversity, step back, take breath, consider. We need to ask the bigger questions and seek the bigger picture. Verse 14 again says, we're to consider that God has made the one as well as the other. Nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is beyond his sovereign rule and his providential care. Here again, both prosperity and adversity are part of his working all things after the counsel of his will. And again, even Job, in the midst of such adversity and a loss that he had, he said to his wife, when she said, curse God and die, he said, shall we indeed accept good from God and not Accept 
adversity. And then it says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. No murmuring, no grumbling. I admire that kind of, kind of believer I want to be. That should be our perspective, certainly. In the day of prosperity, rejoice. In the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. He is sovereign in all our circumstances. He is working all things again after the counsel of his will. Counsel. Everything that happens has been thought about in the counsel of the Godhead. Yeah. God is not arbitrary. He is purposeful in all that comes to pass. Here it says, in the day of adversity, consider. Whenever I read that, I think of James chapter 1 when it says, Consider it all joy when you, in, when you encounter various trials. Now, it doesn't say be joyful. It says that in other passages, but it says consider it, consider it all joy. Sometimes we can anticipate joy even though we don't necessarily feel it at the time. Although, although I have to tell myself uh, quite, quite often, if I've got joy in my heart, I ought to notify my face once in a while. <laughs> yeah. So, in fact, back in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter, but when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. So it doesn't mean we always have to walk around with a smile. But we consider it all joy because we know the trials that are ahead for us, God will use them to produce endurance. And who doesn't want endurance in the Christian life? And it goes on to say that it have, let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, talking about maturity there. So God uses trials to toughen us up and to tune up our spiritual perceptions and perspectives. What an encouragement, what a prospect, and what a purpose and promise that he has. Again, he's not arbitrary, but he is purposeful in all that comes to pass. And so now that last point, I heard that sigh of relief, and I'm almost done. I heard that. <laughs> His purpose, verse 14, so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. That's what it says. So the man may not discover anything that will be after him. When I first read this as a new believer years ago, I thought, was Solomon paranoid or what? <laughs> that, that, that he will not know anything that will be after him. Did he think somebody was after him? I remember seeing a bumper sticker years ago that said, <laughs> that said help, the paranoids are after me. <laughs> Boy, you've got to be pretty paranoid for that. But, but, but the NIV says a man, that a man may not discover anything about his future. That's what he's referring to here. He ordains our days, and he knows our future, but he doesn't divulge our future to us day by day, week by week. Yeah. Many people want to know the future, but I'm convinced most of them want to know only the good things of the future. Quite frankly, I'm not sure I want to know what's coming down the road for me. I believe that whatever comes, God will provide for me. Somebody said, life by the inch is a cinch. Life by the yard is hard. Well, life by the yard, wanting to know everything out there can be overwhelming for us. I read where, where someone said he, he really wasn't that concerned about when he was going to die. That wasn't his concern. He wanted to know where he was going to die because then he wouldn't go there, you see. 
Well, again, I'm, I spoof uh, in that, that we won't see death as believers. We won't see death. We will die. We will not see death. We'll see Jesus. It isn't that glorious. To be absent from the body is to be at home with him. How encouraging for us. And we are to walk by faith, not by sight, the scripture says. Apart from faith, it's impossible to please God, but those who come to him must believe that, first of all, that he exists, and secondly, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So God doesn't withhold information about our future just to keep us guessing. He withholds it from us to keep us trusting, I believe. Trust in the Lord with all your... I think Solomon wrote that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. It's okay to want to understand, but we don't lean on it. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. One translation says, He will make your paths straight. There we go. Whatever He is bent, He's able to make straight. Yeah. He uses both prosperity and adversity to conform us to the image of Christ, both joys and jolts. And so let me read this, this poem called The Weaver. Many of us have, have been familiar with it. The poet has said, My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaves so steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God roll back the canvas and explain the reason why the dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. End quote. Yes, you know, the underside of a tapestry uh, of our lives, you, you look up and you see, you see knots and, and the strings hanging down. It's, it's pretty ugly. But the upper side, as God sees it, is beautifully perfect in the, in the pattern that he has planned. There are threads of prosperity and threads of adversity in which we are to rejoice and consider what God is doing and what God is desiring to accomplish in our lives that he has chosen not to do any other way. So I would just ask a question here. Um, are we, are we content with how God is ruling his universe? Are we? Or are we up on our high horse saying, well, what's going on here? I could do better than this. We would never say that. We might think that. Are we content? Are we satisfied with how God is running his universe? And are we satisfied with his work personally in our lives? Are we trusting him? Apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. Are we trusting him that he is doing good, that he is going to complete what he's begun and he's going to form us to the image of his son? You know, if he had demonstrated his own love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you think that he can handle what's happening in our lives? Yeah. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up because we couldn't and we wouldn't. Yeah, he died. He paid the price again. He paid the penalty that we owed but could not pay. And do we believe again that Jesus suffered in this fallen world in our place? And if he suffered, it shouldn't surprise us that we would suffer as well, go through difficulties and adversity. And, and I'll read what Peter writes. He, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. 
but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Yeah. So, be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief and pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Thy God doth understand to guide the future as he has the past. Let's pray together. We come before you, our gracious Father, and we are reminded and we're thankful that our sense of security is sourced in your sovereign rule over all you created rather than in the uncertainty of our changing circumstances. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. We know that all is sinking sand around us except the solid rock of your Son, our Savior, and we praise you in his matchless name. Amen.